Hey everybody, welcome into this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. I'm your host, Nathan Brown. This week we're going to be discussing all things to do with next generation ministry here at Mosaic Church. That means you're going to get to hear from Bria LaCour, Pastor Wendell Williams, and Pastor Kevon Leibert. Bria is the campus director of the University of Texas chapter of Every Nation Campus Ministry. Wendell Williams is our pastor of student ministries here at Mosaic Church who are kids that range from 6th grade until 12th grade. And then Pastor Kevon Leibert who is our pastor of children's ministry, which of course goes from those newborns all the way through the fifth grade. So let's get into this great conversation with some really great people. Well, here we are. We're having a conversation about next generation ministries at Mosaic Church. I'm very, very excited to have the guests that we have on today. Obviously, we just told you who they are in the intro. Now it's time to get to know them a little bit. And we're going to start out with Mr. Wendell Williams. Wendell, how are you doing today, man? Doing good, man. Glad to be here. We are glad to have you. Would you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, your family, whatever you would like for us to know about you? Yeah, man. I'm originally from from Dallas, Texas. Moved to Austin in 2001 to become a University of Texas Longhorn. Started school, finished school, and never left Austin, Texas. I I, I did not think I was going to be here as long as I have been, but we are are still here. Gotten married here in Austin to my, my high school sweetheart, so to speak. We have four kiddos and have called Mosaic home for the past 18 years. That is really great. So were you a part of our campus ministry when you were in college? I was. Freshman year, spring semester, man. That's, that's when I, I got connected. That's when Jesus found me, and it's been a wrap ever since. That's awesome. See, we'll get to you in just a second, Bria, but you just never know who you're grabbing out there on that next conversation. In fact, let's just go to you now, Bria. How are you doing today? Doing all right. I'm doing good. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in the role you're in. So definitely been here a little less time than Wendell, but (laughs) I was also a part of the campus ministry. I moved to Austin from Houston whenever I became a Longhorn as well in 2012, but I didn't become a part of ENC, also known as Every Nation Campus, until 2015. And so, yeah, it was a wrap after that. I've been going to Mosaic ever since, and it's been amazing. We're really glad to have you on the podcast today. All right, Pastor Kevon, PK, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's good to see everybody. I am a mixed bag, I guess you could say. I'm from all over. I was born in New Jersey, and then I moved with my family when my dad joined the Army. We went to Kansas, then Germany, then Hawaii, which is where I graduated high school. And then I spent two years in Bible school um, in Columbus, Texas, real small town. And then I went to Oral Roberts University where I met my wife, Katie. And then after that, we got married. We moved down to the Dallas area. Then we moved to her hometown, Del Rio, which is on the border, south border of Texas. And we lived there for two years where I was coaching football and teaching. And after that, we moved to Austin. And we've been in Austin now for 10 years. And we've been at Mosaic for almost seven. So it's been really great. Uh, About a year and a half ago, I joined the staff. And now I get to be the pastor of children's ministry. And I absolutely love working with all the young ones. I miss every single one of them right now. I bet they miss you too, man. We're really glad to have you. I'm going to just come back around to Wendell. So Wendell is our pastor of student ministries. And Wendell, if you would, man, just tell us a little bit about how God spoke to you about ministry, how you even view ministry, vocational ministry versus you know marketplace work or other kind of nonprofit work. Maybe just tell us a little bit more of your story about how you ended up in the seat that you're in now. Yeah, I would say that I, I started in vocational ministry when I started working at nonprofits, honestly. They're, they're very similar as as I have 
um, matured spiritually and understood the Bible more. I feel like they're very closely connected. Um, so I started a nonprofit work, working for, for local nonprofits, did that for about 17 years and then transitioned into student ministry specifically over the past four. And really the, the, the connection, the, the similarities between the two are, are pretty, pretty clear. It's, it's helping people, serving people. God really impressed upon my heart the, the year I got married in 2009, actually, that what he was calling me to was to, to serve families, to help young people grow and become better young people, work through and work out a bunch of their junk as young people so that as they became adults, that they could be thriving adults and, and be better disciples of Jesus as they entered into adulthood and marriage and began families and that type of thing. And so the past few years, I've learned some of the differences between working in nonprofits and working with the church in a vocational capacity, but they're, they're very, very similar. Well, very good, man. So you you feel like you kind of did the same thing in a different venue, and now you're you're doing a similar kind of work within the church. One of the things we've talked about on this podcast with several people that are in ministry is sort of the weird way that ministry gets bifurcated for people. And I know for me, I was in ministry, then I wasn't for a good 10 years. And when we say when we're in it, I'm talking vocationally speaking, like that was my job, how I, you know, earn a living. And then of course, back in ministry now for coming up on six years. And one of the things that I really had to learn during that season when I was not in vocational ministry was that I just had to be who God called me to be irrespective of where my paycheck came from. And so I'd love to hear more about that from all of you as we work through this. But it was like, man, when I was still in the insurance field, I had to see myself as a pastor, as a shepherd of God's people, because that's really who God had called me to be. So I love what you're saying, because it's just reminding me of my own story and the story of so many people I've heard that who you are is who God's called you to be. And now this place where you're at at Mosaic Church is where you're doing it now but when you weren't here and if you're not here in the future you're still who who you are you're still going to be doing what god called you to do and i actually love that about you wendell that you really know who you are and what you're called to do uh, and you're doing a great job of it we'll go behind the scenes a little bit more in a few minutes about how you are managing that area of ministry in covid so kevon tell us a little bit more about yourself man how you navigated that when you were in the education world and what it was like for you to come on staff at a church we'd love to hear more about you and your calling bro Oh, definitely. So my very first year teaching and coaching, I had a head coach who felt like coaching was ministry for him. He's a believer and he felt like he had just as much impact as any youth pastor being able to coach a football team. And so that stuck with me from that moment. And that was my very first year coaching. And I realized this is ministry for me. And so I took it that way over the next 12 years of being a teacher, a coach, athletic director, during that time, I knew that I was doing ministry with these students. So switching over to full-time ministry in a vocational sense wasn't very different, especially still working with kids. It's the exact same thing. I'm still doing education. I'm still working with kids. I'm still helping shape their lives. I'm still doing the same things I did before, but now I can be very, very explicit with the gospel. Before I had to hide it. Like I put the gospel in all kinds of stuff. I talked to them about life. I talked to them about loving their neighbors. I talked to them about treating people with kindness, about being like Jesus. They just didn't realize that I was sneaking that in there. So now I just get to shout it from the rooftops. And it's basically a continuance of what I was doing before. 
So you were a former football coach, though. So what I want to know is how many of these young men are you teaching how to hit the hole, run over the two, the guy back, the the, uh, the linebacker coming up behind him? But tell us about that. We get do we have you like physical engagement in M kids when we're all together? Oh yeah, that's exactly what we do with the kids every week. <laughs> you know, I love coaching football. It was one of my favorite things. Um, I had a lot of amazing kids. I coached running backs for the last few years, and it was wonderful. I absolutely loved it. And that's one of the things I do miss about being in education is coaching. There's a lot of long hours, but it gets to translate into M kids now in the sense of structure. And so what I've uh, done with just me working with Alyssa and the people that are under us, I treat it like a coaching staff. Like really, it's no different. I work at, look at it as like if I'm the head coach, I have coordinators. Alyssa would be one of them. Alyssa Jacobs is our assistant children's minister. And I basically treat her like my offensive coordinator. And then we have a very high capacity volunteer, Mallory Brown. She helps us out all the time. She's really tremendous. She's like my defensive coordinator. And with the two of them, they go out there and they take care of the teams. They lead the teams. They run things. So I treat this no different than when I was coaching. Coaching has prepared me for this job in ways that I could have never imagined. And so I just love that things are able to translate. It's one of those really cool things when you see God bring everything together that he's been doing in you for a specific moment. Like everything worked together for me to be here at this time to be able to lead kids, lead the adults that are our team members, and to help lead the parents. So it's pretty amazing. Let's let's bounce over to Bria. I'd love to hear your story, kind of how you got involved in ministry when you knew this was like, oh, God's calling me to do this crazy, scary thing. Let's hear all about it right now. Yes, it was a crazy, scary thing. Very accurate <laughs> description of that. I mean, I was at UT and I kind of have had a little bit of a an interesting journey because I started off as an engineering major and then I realized, wow, this is very hard and I don't feel very supported. And I was just having a really rough time just, yeah, and with college in general. I mean, and so I tried to change my major, try to change around things myself, you know, just trying to feel better, whatever would make me feel better. But it wasn't until like I was introduced to ENC, someone invited me to campus night where on campus they would have worship, a message, you know, hanging out, eating food that that led me to go to the ENC conference and then that it was it was over after that as far as following Jesus but then it was pretty rapid fire after that like the next year of the fall I was getting ready to graduate I had been super involved in in the ministry and all of that but I was preparing to you know maybe be a science teacher something like that and the last retreat I was at of my senior year I just felt overwhelmingly just started to get these weird feelings about about going to ministry full time. Like somehow I just pictured myself doing that for some odd reason. <laughs> but they always do like kind of a call to, to campus ministry and just kind of, you know, ask people who feels called to do that. And whenever that call went out, I felt overwhelmingly that I was supposed to stand up and, and do this thing. But it was really scary. I didn't grow up in church, and so my family has no idea what it means to be a missionary because not only am I not only am I in ministry, but I'm technically a missionary. And so there's a lot of other things we can get into that come with that as well. Mm-hmm. But my family just had no concept of that, you know, other than maybe going someplace overseas and doing things, but they didn't know what it meant to be here and like serve serve in that way. 
So it was very interesting for me. Well, what I'm really wondering is, Kevon, how have y'all been doing children's ministry kind of in the midst of this? I mean, can't really connect with students or the kids. How's that going? That's a great question. So, so far it's been going good. And what we've done is that we've tried to duplicate our regular M Kids service and put it on video for the kids. So we filmed an intro. We had Amanda and her crew do worship. This week, we actually had a whole new set of songs that we're coming out with. So we batch recorded a whole bunch of songs, and then we've done it again. And Bria, we're glad you're part of that worship team. So I mean, that's really exciting. So Bria's part of that team. EJ's part of that team. You guys will see them on the new videos. And then after that, we have taken our ministry moments, which we always invite people in for, and they come on stage and do it in front of the kids, and we've just sent it to their homes. And we've been so grateful for everyone who has done a ministry moment. Um, Bria's done a couple. Wendell's done one. It's really helpful for the kids to still still see the familiar faces and bring it directly into their homes. And every week, my family looks forward to it. We also do this thing called Theme of the Week. It's just something random for the kids to see other kids, and they love it. Like, they have, you know, one that's dance that's coming up, you know, and then they'll have, like, one with kids playing in the water. They'll have different activities that they're doing at home because they're doing them anyways, and they want to see what other kids are doing. So it was really helpful when we first started this because to see other kids doing this stuff because, you know, all the kids are at home, and they're just wondering what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. So it's been really great. And then we finally, like, we finished out of service with our regular – um, lesson that we have. And so a lot of it looks like M kids, except for being in the room together. And that's the thing that I miss the most, but it's really good to be able to duplicate that at home. And my kids look forward to it every week. That's awesome, Kevon. Now, are you guys, I know you were doing some Zoom calls with the kids where they could kind of see each other and their teachers. Is that something y'all are still doing? Yeah. So we've done a few different iterations of that. The very first one was just getting everyone together. We just took like the first couple of weeks that we were um, sheltering in place and we just laid out a schedule and said, all right, 10 o'clock, we're going with four-year-olds. 11 o'clock, we're going with five-year-olds. And then after we went through that, we went and did, we tried to do a service. So we had every week we did a different age bracket. So let's say we had kindergartners. And if you normally attend first service at 8.30, we're jumping on a Zoom call and we're looking at you. And then for second service at 10 o'clock, we're jumping on there and we're talking to you then. So we went through a whole round of that. The next one that starts coming up next week is going to be the same thing, but just one service per Sunday. So we'll just join second service and we'll start with four-year-olds and we'll go through the whole rotation again. We're going to do four-year-olds. You guys are up first. And then we'll go to 5K, then first grade, the second grade each week. And so it's a good opportunity for kids to be able to see their friends, talk to their teachers, and just have a little bit of connection with all their friends from their kids. That's really great. Man, what has been one of, we'll just stay with you here for a second, Kevon. What's been the most substantial challenge that you have faced other than the obvious of not being in person together. So we, we know that is incredibly difficult, but as you've had to kind of redesign how ministry looks, what's been the biggest challenge for you and your team in this season? Oh my gosh, you don't realize how many people are involved in just putting together a service. Like, you know it, you know, like you realize that, hey, when we come into a service, we have people that are doing guest services, we're having greeters, but then when you get into the combined space, like I mentioned, you have someone doing the intro, you have someone doing the ministry moment, you have someone doing worship. So the most challenging thing has been pulling that all together for one video that we're going to send out to everybody. So 
we are fortunate that everyone has been able to get that into us, but it's pulling multiple parts from different people all over the place, you know? But then people also have their own lives and their own jobs and their own things they're doing. So there's a lot of patience and a lot of grace, and we all work with each other. But we're really grateful for all of our volunteers who have still jumped in to help during this time. So Wendell, when it comes to student ministries, and of course, when we say student ministries, we're talking about junior high and high school age students. A lot of those kids will live their lives online anyway, in many ways right now. I mean, you know, I know they they do love to connect in person, but there's a lot of life living online already. Talk to us a little bit about how you've been able to leverage that part that was already normative to their life to continue building relationships and effectively minister. We just really love to hear about what you guys are doing over there in the Mosaic Student Ministry area. So we've we've definitely been able to, to le- leverage that. Students, like you said, are that they are are digital natives, as as they're often called by researchers. And so, for for us, it was not just giving them a, another reason or another excuse to, to jump online, but a, an opportunity to try and leverage it to not necessarily replicate <laughs> what a live in-person interaction would look like, but to utilize it as a, as a tool so that when we are back together in person, we can continue to do so. That was really our, our goal from the jump. And so what we've been able to do is increase the, the frequency of our interactions. And so whereas we've been able to add two Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons is Tuesday morning Bible studies, Wednesday evening game nights, where we just get together and, and hang out, Thursday morning Bible studies. So just continued increased interactions for our students in, in different modes. And so they, they come to our online settings via Zoom with an expectation of what the singular thing is that they're about to do. Whereas on a Sunday, you know, in an hour, we're trying to jam pack all of those things into that that 60 minute interaction. Now we've spread that out over four to five days and are getting some real intentional time with it. And so, of course, it's, it's not the same as, as in person, but it, it, it is what we've got now and we're working with. It. So discipleship continues. Relationships continue. And, and honestly, I, I would say when we come back together, I think we'll be even stronger as a community. I think our students will have matured spiritually because they've had to, they've had to tackle some tough stuff during this time. Well, Bria, obviously you asked Kevon a great question about ministry in the COVID era for children, but what's it looking like for you with college students and the kind of ministry that y'all do? Tell us a little more. Take us behind the scenes on how you're continuing to reach out, spread the gospel, make disciples when you can't be together. Yes, it's, it is definitely different. We were definitely surprised like everyone else <laughs> in the world, but because we were actually, the students were on spring break when they were like, yeah, don't come back. You know, we're, we're extending another week of spring break. It may not be a good situation to come back to. So it was fun for a minute, huh? It was like extra yeah, spring break. You know, and then it was real life. Uh Oh, yes. And then reality hit. <laughs> so for us, actually, you know, kind of after spring break time, because right before spring break, we always have ENC conference, which is a really big moment for us. It's really, you know, brings a lot of momentum. It's kind of a, like a a peak moment for us it kind of goes down after that like you know students aren't as like um, interested in trying to join new organizations or do much more than they're already doing you know now when when you get to March and so it usually slows down for us but instead we had to figure out how to go virtual which meant it sort of sped up in a way (laughs) so we just had to you know figure out how to stay connected to these students the hardest part really was that they were also in college courses over Zoom. 
you know, it's hard enough to get the K through 12 students trying to get on Zoom calls and whatever else. I'm sure that was difficult for a lot of people, but also the, 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 the difficulty of college courses and now you have to be online, you know, that was a lot for a lot of them. So yeah, we just moved everything that we were doing online. It did mean a lot less of, you know, meeting new people, of course, but it, it resulted in a lot of good moments of people just getting to know each other more and kind of bonding over this shared experience we all had trying to deal with this virus and what that means for our lives and how it's kind of changing things and people mm -hmm. getting, you know, going back home to their families when they're not normally there, hitting hitting whatever family problems or or things that are going on there, just it changed their lives in a lot of different ways. But it did result in a lot of students wanting to know God even more. It was kind of this moment of like, I mean, this is such a big thing. Like, who really is God and what is he doing right now? And so we actually saw an increase in the number of students that wanted to to become um, a part of what we were doing and and learn more. So it was crazy, but it's also been really good. Bria, do you see a shift in how you're going to have to do ministry coming up with the new school year? I know it's going to just feel different on campus. Have you thought about what that's going to look like yet? You know, a little. Like, it's, I laugh a lot because it's just, it's just kind of wild. Like each week, you know, you're trying to figure out what kind of change you need to make or think about. And when I first started planning for the fall, I, was, I felt like I had to have five different plans of five different ways this could go. You know, we don't know if there's going to be restrictions on student organizations. So the big way that we're able to be a part is because UT is public, you know, they have student organizations. We can be kind of those people that are helping out the students run the organization and things like that. And so if there start to be restrictions on the meetings and things like that, it could get hard for us to do things in person. But UT has decided to go back in person, but they're going to have a hybrid of like different classes that are like hybrid online and some fully online. Like it, it just kind of is a lot. And so I think we're definitely going to try to figure out how we can be more online even if we are allowed to meet in smaller groups on person, how can we, you know, still be relevant and how can we still reach people? Because the hardest part that's going to be for us is reaching new people. Like I said, I would re-mention that I'm a missionary. And so I feel called to reach the campus and have conversations with people. And it's, it's hard when everything is online, how I'm going to meet new students <laughs> or someone that doesn't know him. And so we'll probably have to be a lot more focused on students, friends, and the people that they know them actually reaching their friends, which is our goal anyway, but it will just look a lot different. You said something that really like struck a chord with me. You talked about having five different plans. I feel like it's the same way with them kids. Oh my goodness. We have no clue what's about to happen from week to week. Like right now we have a plan of coming back when school starts, but we don't know what that looks like. And we're hearing a bunch of different things about when school starts, when school doesn't start. You got to take into account families and kids and little ones. There's a lot that goes into just thinking about the future without even knowing what's coming up. So um, I know Wendell probably thinks about the same thing about what he's going to do with student ministries and how that's going to look. Like we all know tomorrow morning we can wake up and everything has changed. It's, it's kind of wild. 
It is wild. Wendell, talk to us about the kind of contingencies that you look at as it relates to what you're doing. I mean, I know you talked a little bit about trying to leverage what's already there and in a way that it's still there when you come back, but things are changing in the way it affects these students. I can only imagine sort of the mental gymnastics that they have to constantly do to even try to reframe what their life is going to look like. What is it like ministering to people, especially to young people, like their lives, this age group that you minister to, it's such a transitionary period in life. I mean, you go through more changes in those seven, eight years than you do the whole rest of your life, I feel like, in terms of how how fast and how rapidly everything changes. And now we have a world that changes on a dime. What has that been like for you actually ministering to those students with so much instability in their lives on top of the instability they had just naturally by being the age that they are? You know, it. In, in a lot of ways, it has been much of the same, but getting to quarterback it, so to speak, from uh, behind the screen or over a cell phone via text or through social media, I feel like it actually multiplies me as an individual, but also our adult volunteers and our adult leaders. You know, cutting out, having to, to, to drive or make sure schedules line up and all those things, like those barriers are, are removed. And communication can be, it can flow much easier because you can just send a text or you can just give them a phone call or you can invite them to a a Bible study. And that, I think, lends itself to being more authentic and being more transparent. And that is valuable for relationships with young people in all of these transitions that that, that you spoke of. And so with that, I, I think what it allows us to do is is continue to build real relationships. Our adult leaders' health, my spiritual health, their spiritual health. I think is is probably the biggest thing that we've really been able to focus on during this time and kind of recenter, kind of reset what it, what it is we're called to do, why we're doing it, why we're in this, and really get some some time with Jesus on our on our own, so that we continually have something to pour out because we're we're pouring out at a, a, a much higher frequency. And so our students, our young people, they 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 are resilient. They, <laughs> I, I think, in a lot of ways, although they're not dealing with every single stress of uh, what comes along with a time like this, as adults are, they're handling much of it. You know, and they're handling it with a lot of grace. They're handling it with a lot of maturity. They're asking good questions and having good conversation and having to mature in ways previous generations, recent previous generations may not have may not have had to. Man, just to shift gears a little bit here, on top of COVID, what we've also had is sort of a highlighting of racial problems that our country has always experienced and continues to experience. But now there's sort of a spotlight on those issues in a way that I can't recall in my lifetime there being. It's not that we have a new issue, but the way that it is receiving you know, coverage and awareness and all of that seems to be at a much more heightened level than ever before. As you're trying to minister to junior high and high school students while this highlighting is sort of coming on this issue, how is that affecting their relationships? How's that affecting your ability to minister to them in that specific space right now? Yeah, I, I think that everything going on outside of COVID specifically racial tensions and protests and riots. And all, I think all of that is actually what is more difficult for them. COVID, it, it's real. It, it is a, a reality. But but I think that the thing that is really hitting close to home with them is, man, people are saying some wild stuff online. They're saying some things that, that hit them personally in a different way. People that they're close to, friends, people that they um, may have been suspect of all along. Being online, it provides opportunity and space for, for that stuff to come out. 
And so it's navigating those feelings, it's navigating those emotions, it's navigating trying to find clarity and, and weed through the, the, the muck of everything and the noise that, that is social media sometimes. And so them navigating that and having a space to, to come together with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to, to have dialogue about, man, one, what's going on and how they're making you feel. Sometimes we, we, we ask that, that one question and that's our entire time of meeting together because people are feeling a lot of different things. And so getting to encourage one another, getting to ask some hard truths, getting to, to stand alongside them, um, and not just us as adults, but watching our, especially our high school students, I've, I've been really impressed with them and their ability to, to minister to, to one another, to, to pray for one another with boldness, with, with courage, with faith, like. It's been amazing to see them do that. And at the same time, <laughs> be able to call each other out for stuff that gets posted on social media. Like mm. that, that, that to me, when you can, on, on one hand, pray with somebody and on the other hand, still feel and have the, the, the depth of relationship to, to call you out and be, be received. I think that speaks to maturity. I think that speaks to community. And I, I think that that speaks to God, God's grace in this time for, for our students. Wendell, I just got to say thank you for doing the hard work that you're doing. What we try to do at MKids is get kids prepared to come to you because we know that you're going to have those more difficult conversations as they get into middle school and high school. And so what we do at MKids is we set the stage by making sure that kids don't see our programming, our services, any of the things we do centered on one specific group. Like we want to make sure that when people get up in front of them, that the stage is diverse uh, according to like who's up there doing worship, who's in the videos, who's doing the ministry moments. We want them to not think it's strange that they see people from all backgrounds. And that's how we get the conversation started. So that when they get up to middle school, it's not something strange for them to be able to talk about this, and especially with our older kids, our fourth and fifth graders, we start to get into these conversations. But I do want to speak to parents real quick, because this is something that we've had to pivot to in MKids, is that we also have to have, take the moment to speak to parents, because as parents of young kids, I have a seven-year-old and eight-year-old, an eight-year-old who's almost nine. It's hard to start these conversations around race, especially when you see them in the news. And kid, my kids are asking questions like, oh, what does it mean when you hear Black Lives Matter? Like, what does it mean when you see these images of police officers and black men and black women and people that are on the TV. And I think you just have to start the conversation where you're at and introduce it to them. And I think one thing me and my wife realize is that no age is too young to start them on that path to being anti-racist, to start them on the path to working against those systems and policies and those issues that are trying to push against the equity for all people groups. And so, for all the parents out there that are wondering if you should start talking to your kids about it, yes, you should start talking about it right now. We've shared a couple of things on our Instagram page and Facebook page that points to resources, that points to books that you can introduce them to. We'll continue to do that. And uh, we'll just want parents to know that it is a fight that we're going to be in, but for the long term. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not, hey, I'm going to talk about it today and then it goes away. It's going to have to keep coming up. Because once we start talking to our boys about it, it comes up every other day because they see it around them. I mean, we went and got a haircut for the first time since coronavirus has hit. And we go in there. And while we're there, we're watching a soccer match. And on the back of the jerseys in England is wearing jerseys that say Black Lives Matter. And so like, it's right there in front of them. No matter what you do, they're going to see it. So it's not too late to start talking to them about it. You can start today.
So I love what's being said right now. And if I could just take a pause from the conversation and speak to those of you who are listening to the podcast, if you are someone who's in a position of power, you're in a position to make decisions, you're in a position to empower other voices, I really encourage you to take a look at who you are empowering these days and who who you are putting in positions of leadership. Because part of the reason that the problems we have are self-perpetuating is because we all have a tendency to navigate towards people who look like us, think like us, sound like us, see the world the way that we do. And at Mosaic, you know, maybe you've not been to our church. If you're someone who has never been, or maybe you've connected with us just in the COVID era, you never made it into to a service when we were still able to have services. One of the things that you might miss is the fact that we are a fairly multi-ethnic church. Now, I'll be the first to admit that there's a lot of things about our church that are still very sort of white-centered, and, and a lot of that has to do with how the church was founded, and we've sort of been on this progressive journey to make this a more diverse experience ever since. I think we've done a lot of good things and we've got a long way to go. But as I sit here and look at the the images of the people that I'm talking to right now, I can't help but notice the fact that from, from literally from birth until college, our children are being led by people who actually don't look like me. I'm, I'm looking at faces who all look much better than me. You're beautiful people, by the way. We should have done a video cast today just so everyone could see how, how good looking all three of you are. But in addition you know, to just being uh, gorgeous, beautiful, stunning, handsome people, here on my screen, you you all share something in common, and that's that you're all Black Americans, and and which I am not. And I love the fact that having four kids of my own, that my children are being raised in a place where Black voices, Black leaders are being empowered in our church to provide a different kind of experience for my kids growing up than what I received. And so, if you're taking notes at home, it's a good time to really think about who you're promoting, who you're elevating, so that we can begin to appreciate the diversity of the people that God has put around us. I do want to come to Bria, and I'd love to hear from you about how these conversations, how the sort of the cultural highlighting of the, uh, the systemic injustices that we have in our country, how that's affecting your college students, how that's affecting your ministry, and how you're applying the gospel to that conversation. Yeah, it's been a really interesting time, honestly, because... Like you mentioned, I myself as a Black woman am having to navigate not only my own my own feelings and what how things are affecting me personally, but also I have been given this responsibility by God to to work with these students who are also dealing with it and trying to figure it out and it it looks different than you know how Kevon's working with the younger kids and how Wendell's working with the middle school, high school. It's much more complex <laughs> thoughts that they're having here about this. And I've had to navigate, you know, how how can I be there for not only my my students, my black students or students of color who also have dealt with different things, you know, especially at UT, you know, even the history of UT and the racial makeup is pretty the the stats are pretty percentages are not really reflective of you know the number of each like each demographic within the state of Texas it's just not really lined up there's really some disparities there and so it definitely triggered a lot of what people even experience at the university and adversities they faced and you know a lot of emotions have rised up risen up because of that and so 
yeah, it's been interesting to figure out, okay, how, how can I be there for those students, but also my white students who are like, what can I do? How do I do this? Because on the one hand, it, it's hard because as a Black person, you may hear this, you know, on the internet, wherever you see it, that, hey, it's not your job to educate. And I really do understand what is what is being said there, because it is really hard to feel like it is your responsibility, sole responsibility to educate someone else who is not like you on what your experience is and what to do, right? It's really hard. It feels weighty. But at the same time, God has given me responsibility with these students. How can I help them? How can I educate them as much as I know how, but also take care of myself and and figure out how all that works? So that's been a really interesting process. And I have been um, so honored to be reached out to by my students that don't look like me, who are asking, hey, are you okay? And hey, like, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but I do want to do better. How can I help? How can I you know, be kinder or, you know, just have these conversations with people. Because like I said, a lot of my students are at home. And so that's really where they're probably hitting, you know, some differences in opinions with their parents, with their siblings, you know, having to navigate these conversations um, outside of, you know, the the university context. Because I feel like at UT, for the most part, the students are younger and, you know, they might be a little bit more on the same page about things like this. But when they go home, they have their grandparents, parents, and, you know, all the different interesting conversations there. So, yeah, I've just been really honored to be able to help some of my students. But also, it's been interesting to navigate how how things have affected me and take care of myself in the midst of that. Bria, thank you so much for doing that. And it is a heavy weight to carry. I pray for all of you a lot and a lot more even now, probably than before with the way things are, because there is some truth to the fact that, you know, we interviewed Mike Yates a few weeks ago and he talked about his triple consciousness. And I'm sure that the three of you sort of experience what he described as well. And, and so my hat's off to you and I appreciate everything that you said. I think there is truth that people who look like me should invest their own time into educating themselves on the situations that we face. At the same time, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the fact that if it weren't for not one, not two, but multiple black friends having sort of the ability and the courage to sit down and talk with me and share their stories. I'm not sure if I would have come around to the place that, that I, that I did, nor would I be have probably been able to even educate myself in the way that I did, because until the ice was broken relationally, it was hard for me to see. And so it's a tough tension to walk in. And so I have a lot of empathy for, for people who are on the underside of power and privilege who say, I don't want to take the time to have this conversation. I'm done having this conversation. I've been trying to have this conversation. Nobody ever wanted to have this conversation. Oh, now that it's advantageous socially to have this conversation. Now you have this conversation. Actually, I think I'm done. I wanted to have it when it wasn't to your benefit to do this. And so I, I, I get all of that at an intellectual level. Obviously, I can't feel it the same way that all of you feel it, but I do understand it. At the same time, there's a piece of the equation that when you are called by God to go into ministry and your ministry is to a multi-ethnic group of people, there is an obligation that comes along with that to push through what others don't have to push through. And so I guess just here while we're talking, having some real talk, I just want to acknowledge the challenge that all three of you face and also express my appreciation for how you navigate that. I know you have to go and retreat and, and get alone with God and, and do all the things you have to do to take care of yourself. But I 
I love that all three of you keep showing up, that you keep laying it down. And I know that you're storing up treasures in heaven because you're sacrificing, literally sacrificing yourself on behalf of other people. And that is the gospel. So let me just say to you, as real as I can say, I know there's a recording going uh, here, but thank you. Thank you, all three of you, for the way in which you minister. And though I can't fully understand what it costs you, I know it costs you a lot. And my heart is filled with gratitude for all of you. Wendell, I know that this is a particular place and space that you have been ministering for a long time. Your wife is sort of in it with you. This is a a life calling, I think, in many ways for for your family. I would just love to hear for you as you're thinking about the future, what what kind of path forward you see, especially as you're training kids who are in that next generation. These are our some current leaders and future leaders uh, in the age group that you are ministering to right now. Maybe you could just talk to us about the path forward that you see towards real justice, towards real unity that doesn't end up in you know what people are becoming fearful of, race wars, all kinds of stuff that you know all the the sort of bad possibilities that are hanging out there in the distant future. What positive path forward do you see for our young people today? Man, you know, I I think a lot of our hope is in a large part writing writing on them, right? Where where previous generations have honestly failed and got it wrong. We we've had the opportunity to try and help coach where we can now uh, in helping them get it right. And so path forward, I, I think, is especially as as believers, especially as followers of Jesus, as young believers. I think them recognizing, oh, the full gospel is not just making disciples who are, are spiritually growing, but it is dealing with all the rest of the, the stuff that comes along with <laughs> to what's happening in the world and, and not being disconnected from real real issues. And when we unpack what that means, meaning let's have real conversations, let's talk about racism and anti-racism and your personal experience and your personal feelings and the things that that excite you in the world like recycling if recycling is important to you great there are other pieces of 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 the gospel that give a fuller picture of of what jesus intended to to reconcile to himself and those things excite them is is unpacking those things and so i I think the future is or the path forward is a, a little clearer because our generations have made the mistakes that we've made. We've dropped the ball where we've dropped the ball, and now we're trying to help help them get it right. And so, uh, playing our part and helping helping coach them and, and use the, the the wisdom that we've acquired and making those mistakes, I think, is a, somewhat of a path forward. I love what you're saying, and it just as you were talking about that, it it brought me back to the way Jesus sort of introduced Himself when He started His ministry. And Luke chapter four sort of records what Jesus said and what He did, and He He walked into a temple. So for the timeline here, Jesus grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and man, but we really don't have very much of an account of His life up until from from birth. There's this huge gap, and then we catch up. He's thirty years old, right? There about. And he goes and he is baptized in the Jordan River. And of course, we see the great Trinitarian picture of the Father, the voice of the Father speaking, saying, this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. And you see the the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. In one picture, you've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is anointed, and he goes into ministry, basically, from that point, which, by the way, immediately sent him into the desert for 40 days in temptation. So those of you who are considering going to ministry, don't forget about that little stop along the way. But once he came through that successfully— He walks into the church, stands up and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom to those who are captive. 
He sent me to recover sight to those who are blind. He's called me to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And there, as Jesus steps in, he's quoting from Isaiah 61, and he's saying, I'm the guy that Isaiah was talking about, and this is what I'm here to do. That is a full gospel ministry right there. Like, you know, I grew up hearing about full gospel, and people talk about full gospel, they meant other things. And and when I think full gospel, I think those things, like those are the things. And, you know, Pastor Morgan, a couple of weeks ago, preached a, a great message about all the things that were lost when sin entered the world and how Jesus came to seek and to save all that which was lost. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we think disciple making is just going around and trying to get as many people as we can to say a prayer, asking Jesus into their heart so we could put that name on our list, check the box, move on. And the reality is disciple making is proclaiming good news to the poor. It is proclaiming liberty to the captives. It is helping people to see when they can't see. It is helping to bring liberty and freedom to those who are oppressed. And in doing all that, you proclaim God is real and his favor is upon us. Kivon, I'd love just to hear a little bit more from you. I know we're going to start to wrap up here in just a minute, but when you think about holistic ministry like that for young people, talk to us a little bit about how our children are being trained not only to ask Jesus into their heart, although that is an incredible part of the process. I mean, I don't think you can really do the rest of this without Jesus. So let's not just slide past the importance of becoming a follower of Jesus. That has to happen. But there's so much more that has to happen next. How are you integrating that into our children's ministry here at Mosaic? Well, I love that that question, and I love the way that one was looking at it. And you guys are talking about discipleship, and just the breakdown that discipleship is not just you know, hey, bringing people into the kingdom and then that's it, leaving them alone. No, we've got to cultivate relationship. And so for us, it's all about relationship. It's all about helping to grow each kid individually. Everything that we do points towards that work of having a full gospel. I love the way that you define that. And um, I also grew up in an area in a, in a church where they define full gospel as something else, but I love the full gospel being all of it. And this scripture that you pointed to with Jesus, it kind of sets my heart on fire every single time that I hear it because he is preaching to those that are marginalized, to those that are oppressed, to those that need justice, that need people fighting for them. And if not the church, who? So what we have to do is raise up a whole generation of believers. Like Wendell said, they're our hope, they're our future, that are ready to go out there and preach and deliver that full gospel of Christ, like the whole thing. And I think that they get it even more than we do. And Wendell spoke to that as well. Like the first of the previous generation, like before us and even us, like we are still fighting. We're in it right now. But like it's our kids and even our grandkids that I think will have like the biggest success. My kids and the kids and M kids and the kids that are part of Mosaic are being raised in a place to not do what we did just a few years ago. It's like, hey, we don't see color. No, we see it. We celebrate it. And we don't discriminate because of it. And so we celebrate color. We celebrate heritage. We celebrate ethnicity. We, I love one of the things we do at Mosaic where we bring in songs in Spanish, you know, and the things that we want to do in MKIS is continue to bring in songs and music and experiences from diverse backgrounds and cultures. One big thing that we're doing right now is we're working on creating our own curriculum at Mosaic. And when we are creating our own curriculum, we're going in with the lens just not diversity for diversity's sake, but that anti-racism work that you're talking about in the lens of the gospel, because it is gospel work. For too long, people have tried to co-opt it and say it's not gospel work and it doesn't belong in the church, but it completely belongs in the church. And for us, it always comes down to 
love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is our thing in MKids. And love your neighbor as yourself. And if I'm going to love my neighbor, if you go to MKids, when we get back together and you look around at the room, none of the kids look like each other. It is such a diverse mix of kids. And if they're going to love each other, they're going to have to realize, hey, I'm loving you and the world, the country, society is pushing back and saying I should treat you different. No, the gospel says I can't do that. I can't treat you that way. The gospel says, I love you because you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, and we're going to work together to make sure that they see that. Our kids are being raised to like be an example to the world. So we're really excited about that, and we're really excited about having um, curriculum that has that built in from the beginning. We don't want to have to go back and try to change things, because that's what's happened now. You know, even with the older generation that maybe, you know, grandparents that grew up during the civil rights era, they had to try to change thinking. Some of them did, some of them didn't. You know, even us in our generation, we grew up like, okay, is this a post-racial society? And you really quickly realize it is not. So I think with our kids, they're going to just be aware with how the world is and what they need to do to continue to make it better. So we're really excited about being able to be a part of that. Well, man, I, I said it once. I'll just say it again. Thank you, you know, Kevon. Thank you, Wendell. Thank you, Bria, for all of the hard work and the labor that you're doing to bring the full picture of the kingdom of God to the people that you minister to, not to the kids that you minister to. I mean, we use that term sometimes, and that's fine. We can look at who we're talking to, but to the people that you are ministering to, and you are all making such a substantial difference in the world. And I agree with Wendell. Like this next generation, this is our hope. Like I still happen to believe that the church is the hope for the the world, but the church has to fully reflect the ministry of Jesus. And as you guys all pour in to the next generation that's that's coming up now, that is already, I mean, man, we see teenagers leading the pathway right now in many spaces in society. And that actually excites me. Do they have room to grow and all that? Yep. And guess what? So do we. We've all got room to grow. And so I love the way that y'all are approaching ministry. I love that it's holistic. I love that it's not just social justice. It's also change your heart. It's let's change our hearts and let's change our systems and let's change the way that we see each other and let's change the way that we do things so that guess what? We can all be conformed into the image of the Son of God, which is our call. And so I just, again, on, on behalf of our church, Thank you all for the ministry that you do. We wouldn't be who we are without you. We couldn't be who we're supposed to be without you. Our hearts are filled with joy and gratitude. Thank you for the work you do. And thank you for being with us today on Tuesday's R for Talking. Thank you. It's been a, been a pleasure. It's been fun. Yes, thank you for having us on. This is really good. This is an awesome time. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. For more information about how to get and stay connected to us, head over to mosaicchurchaustin.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope you'll make plans to join us next week.